Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AMT Tech Trends podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. Today's episode is sponsored by Modern Machine Shop, Made in the USA podcast. I'm the director of New Year's Resolutions, Benjamin Moses, and I'm here with Stephen Lamarca, AMT's technology analyst. <laughs> Steve, how are you doing the start of February? <laughs> How, how's, how's the gym looking for New Year's resolutions? <laughs> Man. Apparently, there's a lot of TikTokers who are uh, accusing random people of staring at them. But, you know, we won't get into that. We're we not about that. that. We're about the technology. We've got some future plans that I want to talk about. You're talking about wedding stuff. And oh, man. You okay. got a wedding band? I want to know more about so, your experience. So future, sure. <laughs> plans, the, not so much. Okay, okay. We have fair. like absolutely nothing planned other than that we're getting the rings taken care of sure, now. Sure, And um, for, f- fortunately, one of our colleagues, Rob, um, for, for whatever reason, I think he like threw a ring at me to pick on me or something. He took his wedding band off and threw it at me as if he was divorcing me. Um, <laughs> That's dangerous, by the way. I would never do that for my life. So, but anyway, for whatever reason, I decided to put it on and like, holy cow, it's like a perfect fit. And anyway, that got me into, I, I my fiance, Melissa is like, will you, you know, I, I sent her like w- the wedding band that I want. Sure. Cause it looked really cool. You want to tell me about that and now or later? I'll get I'll get into that. Okay, okay. But like uh I send her, I want this. Order this for me now. It's like you have to find out your size, dum dum. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay. By chance, Rob threw his wedding band at me. Yep. I put it on like an idiot and was like, oh my, this is like a perfect fit. Right, right. What size are you? And he's like, uh, ten and a half. I'll or I'll bring in a bunch of other ones that you can try too. <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, I don't want one of your I don't want to hand me down wedding band, but like but he did anyway, and I got the Mitutoyo calibers out and whatnot. And anyway, found out I'm 10 and a half. Okay. Took all that information back to Melissa. We specced out the ring. I want like a simple wedding band, like like no engravings or any deep, no stupid gemstones or anything, whatever. It's not stupid. If you have a gemstone with a wedding or a wedding band with gemstones, it's, it's great. Good for you. Um, But like a simple, simple, like rounded wedding band. But I wanted a really cool material, and I saw this stuff on Instagram, believe it or not, called Timascus, oh. Titanium Damascus. Nice. And they just layer – there's multiple layers of titanium folded over right. um, the way you'd make Damascus. But because it's titanium and titanium under heat blues really beautifully, right. and it's lightweight and comfortable, um, but because it blues when you heat it – and there's multiple layers of titanium that blew differently yep. under the same amount of heat. It makes this really cool, like blue, light blue to like deep purple tiger stripe pattern. Yep. And, it, you know, it's a little Melissa did accuse me of like picking out like a tie dye wedding band, <laughs> but it looks really cool. And I thought it was sick. And, it, you know, titanium's lightweight, it so is, it's not it going to feel like wearing much um, and got it specked out and everything. But anyway, gave her the information. She ordered the band and the company, the company that she ordered from is great. It's like they've done this before (laughs) and they're like, okay, you say you're this size, but we're like, and this doesn't slow down the ordering or production process at all, which is really cool. Um, They get into the like production on like the the company told us everything about how they're made and whatnot. Uh, So I got to see a lot of lathe work. That was sick. Um, But uh, they were like. It, it's not going to slow down production at all. But in the meantime, we're going to ship you a sizing kit. Cool. 
because it's something like 85% of people. I pulled that percentage out of my bum. Some very high percentage. But, but they, it's a very high percentage of people that order wedding bands by the wrong size. Sure. Yeah. And so like in the two weeks that it makes, it takes to make this wedding band for you, you will receive within the next couple of days, a sizing kit and it will have every quarter size, like around the size that you think you are. Okay. And sure enough, I thought I was a 10 and a half. I even, you know, when Rob brought in his rings, yeah. All of his ten and a halfs were different sizes, by the way, because I took the Mitutoyo calipers to them. <laughs> um, and we're talking like within 0. 0.05 millimeters sure. of each other. Sure. And and it made a difference, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, something's contact your skin every little bit. Yeah. Matters. And um, but anyway, the company sends, you know, all these quarter sizes around the size. Sure enough, I thought I was a 10.5 yeah. or 10.5. Uh, 10.75 wow, is the most comfortable so far. Good. And so I'm wearing my training wheels right now. <laughs> this isn't it. This is just aluminum. Sure, sure. But like it's got like the comfort bevel on yeah, the yeah. inside. Like yeah. they, they milled it all nicely or turned cool. it all nicely. It's really comfortable. It just looks like garbage because it's not the real thing. I'm excited to see that. I do like oxidized titanium. Yeah, even it's pretty. It, it just looks very motorcycle good. exhaust. Motorcycle oh. exhaust. Pagani has an amazing yeah. exhaust. They just, I just love their process and how they... Uh, keep their name imprinted on it. Mm -hmm. It's cool. Mm -hmm. um, and speaking of wedding bands, I was uh, doing some yard work and did some stuff outdoors over the weekend. And I don't be don't wear any accessories when I'm doing that type of stuff. But right. For some reason, I just came back from uh, Amelia swim practice. I was like, I'm going to get some wood for the fire pit later from, you know, we got some woods in the backyard. I'm just going to go drag some out, cut it with a shucker saw, get it prepped for the uh, fire pit. I put my gloves on, uh, just working gloves because it wasn't super cold. Um, did the, the stuff and I came back inside came back inside to wash my hand and I, I noticed right away, like I always notice my wedding ring on, like right. it, it's never comfortable for me. As soon as I get home, I take it off. Both my wife and I are like, gotcha. We don't need this. Cause we don't need to tell people we're married because we're at home. So we yeah, just take the no, wedding. There's no appearance <laughs> yeah. to keep up. Yeah. First of all, no one's going to approach me anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> I want to get home. I take off the wedding. Cause it, it, to your point, this is a, a heavier metal and I do feel it on. It's a good cut, but I always feel it on. But so when I got home, um, came back in, went to wash my hand and I looked down, Huh, that's strange. I thought I had a wedding band on. Uh oh. I went back to my bedroom where I always put my wedding band. Wasn't there. Uh oh. So I was panicking because I was in the woods get, dragging up um, yeah. uh, a piece of wood. And I thought I wore my gloves the whole time, but one of our bird feeders fell and I was dragging that back out and I wasn't wearing my gloves. Like, did I drop my ring in the woods? Which is literally the worst place. Is if I dropped it there, I, there's no point in getting it back. Yeah. Luckily, I looked around, just kind of rummaging around, did. Uh, you know, a two minute search in the woods. Like, there's no way I'm going to find this. I gave up. I thought, what if it's in my glove? So I checked the glove. Wait a second. Let me dig around. Luckily, it was in the glove. So no when I took the glove way. off. It, just, it came off with the glove. It came off with the glove. So, wow. Thank God. I, I was going to think it's like in your pocket or something. <laughs> or? I, I checked all my, that's what I thought. I thought I took it off when I washed my hands and left in the pocket. I was like, nope. That's terrifying. That's very terrifying. I'm going to have to make sure I check my motorcycle gloves every time I ride with yeah, a wedding band yeah. on. And it's actually nice that you have uh, that aluminum test ring. Yeah. So when I go to the gun range or when I do any type of... Uh, you bring a beater. You could wear your beater. Because I don't wear my wedding band gotcha. when I go to the range. Because when I used to go on the shop floor and do work on the floor, I used to take all my um, watch and jewelry off to prevent it from getting scratched. So, hmm. Steve? I don't think beater and wedding should be used in the same conversation. Unless you're drinking. <laughs> oh my God. Can you tell us about our sponsor today? 
Our sponsor is the Modern Machine Shop Made in the USA podcast. Tune in for Modern Machine Shop's Made in the USA podcast to explore manufacturing issues faced by companies making an intentional choice to manufacture in the U.S. Featuring commentary from OEM leaders, Made in the USA blends its nearly century-long expertise with a unique audio storytelling experience to shine a spotlight on the past, present, future of American manufacturing. Find Made in the USA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. Follow Modern Machine Shop on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thanks, Steve. I'm going to get into some articles today. Yes, sir. We got a bunch. The first one I want to talk about uh, automation. Uh, last time we talked about uh, automating programming for robotic arms. Right. Getting to the streamlined process. Here we've got an article um, from Automation World talking about... Um, what I would call redeployment of equipment. I mean, you could also talk about the initial deployment, but uh-huh. um, you know, if you're in a smaller factory or a factory where they're doing a uh, high um, number of um, part numbers, but low volume, you know, you have a constant changeover of parts, right? So you're constantly changing from a square to a round or things like that. So to be able to redeploy your robotic arm to either new situations or new parts, uh, it's fairly important, especially when we look at like job shops or contract manufacturing, sure. right? So, um, there's an interesting article uh, covering a new uh, technology from uh, OnRobot. Uh, and I'll read you a quick summary. So um, users only have to scan the QR code on the module to securely connect to uh, the OnRobot's cloud system, which can then detect all robotic components in the work cell. The robot as well as its end-of-arm tooling. Uh, and then uh, other components in the work cell are added in the software environment through intuitive software interface. So they're saying wow. is, you know, uh, one, using their uh, end-of-arm tooling and being able to connect through their cloud platform, okay. they know what the end-of-arm tooling is. So getting to a simulation or a digital representation of the end-of-arm tooling, that's So this super is an on-robot product. Right. Is it an end-effector that they just plug in right. and yes. use it as you'd normally use your end-effector yep. end for or yep. end-of-arm tooling yep. for? But the end of arm tooling also communicates with your computer system right. and tells you everything that's connected to it. Yes. Yep. So, uh, wow. and then they also allow the ability to, you know, define um, the robotic uh, tool, uh, the tool tool path. And what they're doing is also instead of issuing poses and specific positions, they're saying, "Don't do that." Tell what's the objects that you want to pick up and the place, and the path will automatically define itself. Well, so similar to the conversation we had uh, a lot, uh, past couple of episodes of, you know, I, there probably isn't the need to say uh, this pose needs to occur, as in the entire all the joints need to go through this orientation. From the uh, end user perspective, they're saying no. I would like you just tell me where you want to be, and I know roughly what else is in the cell. Now there's um, there's some things in play here, like. <gasps> Right. What is in the cell? What, what was it called last time? Last episode, it was called a uh, 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 voxel reservation. Voxel right? reservation. Wow. So, so very similar. Um, also, when you're designing the cell uh, or the digital environment, right, you're defining what's in the cell. So that's a very good starting point, of course. And then you have the real time um, data that's going along with that, and all the different scenarios. So not just this, but um, all the different. Scenarios. So, so the big takeaway is. And we've been talking about this for quite a while is sure. the need for automation and the uh, ease of implementation for automation. Yes. So yeah. not only are we seeing the cost come down, but the ability to say, 
we don't need a, a roboticist to get a robotic arm on the floor yeah. anymore. Now there are the significant value in integrators and uh, subject matter experts in robots as in help us define what the correct arm we need, maybe help us define what end of arm tooling we need or capability. But in terms of I've got a robotic arm that's been working here and now I need to change it to either another cell or move it or change the part that it's picking up, that can occur faster and more frequently. So the return right. on investment is skyrocketing now because yeah. of uh, ease of implementation. Man, the accessibility of automation yeah. is is not only is it really impressive where it is now, but like I, I it, it's almost hard to believe how much better it's getting. Right. And but that being said, you know, on robots doing a great job yeah. with all these innovations and they are becoming a a staple like a household brand name sure. for uh, end of arm tooling. Um, which probably works against their accessibility because if they're becoming like the name brand for sure, end sure. of arm tooling, you know, they're charging a lot. So <laughs> maybe we'll see. I, yeah, I'm still, I'm still going to fanboy over there. Sure. You got an article on additive in the fashion industry. Yes. Tell me more. Dior. Yes. Dior. Uh, so we're used to like, you know, the, the Adidas mm-hmm. working with carbon to make their soles um, of, of some of their shoes. Um, well, Dior was like, let's let's print as much of the shoe as we can. Sure. Um, and so Dior released two images. Well, two, I would say concept shoes. OK, because I don't think you can buy them yet. Um, they released a Darby um, and a boot that I originally thought was a Chelsea mm-hmm. because of their lattice structure, you know, that, that the the shoes are printed in. Sure. Um, at first, when I saw it, I was like, oh, wow, they just made the entire thing out of like elastic. OK, but which is, you know, a, a Chelsea boot is a, typically a leather boot that has elastic on the side so you can uh, slip it in uh, on and off. OK, um, but with this, because they're trying to print as much of the shoe, the boot as possible, the entire thing is a lattice structure. Nice. So it actually looks more like an Ugg boot. OK, um, but it's still it's it's still a. a Totally novel design. Um, and um, the other shoe was a Darby. Yep. And I, I did notice there were certain components of the shoes that were not printed. Like they yeah. can only yeah. print so much. And it was really cool because uh, they included pictures of like the raw uh, um, near net shape part coming okay. out of the printer. Sure. Um, oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think it's... Uh, uh, nylon. It's definitely a polymer. I, the, um, you know, our team here that knows additive right. was able to do some detective work and determine that the rich color of black that these boots are printed in. Um, and they said, uh, like the only like material brand that can make that rich color of black in either polyurethane or, um, Nylon, sure. I think, which is a common material. It had to be nylon because right. uh, polyurethane would make sense for a sole, but they're not printing the sole. Right. Um, and um, so if it's nylon, there's only one company that can make the material out of um, th- with that rich color of black. OK. And this is a big one. SLS, selective laser sintering. OK. 
for for polymer. That's what they used. Yeah. So we're used to laser powder bed fusion for right. SLS, which is inappropriately marked. But well, not inappropriately. It still goes follows the standard that Jason Jones sent us with the <laughs> you know the diagram and everything. Sure. But if you want to be more specific and in detail about SLS, is typically polymers, and there's very few SLS machines. And, and brands, namely just one yeah. that can use this material. And there's only one brand of material supplier that makes this color black. So it was really w- cool watching them do their detective work to okay. determine uh, uh, who was making this, sure. who Dior was using right. to make this, which was cool. But like um, the other stuff, yeah, the the soles not 3D printed. That's clearly injection molded. And then there was other stuff that's leather, or right. patent leather, like the tongue. Yeah. Um, the eyelets for the Darby um, and the tongue, of course, um, and the welt around uh, the soles of yep. the shoes. Yep. That was all leather stuff that yeah. was probably stitched on after the fact. But, you know, with additive, yeah. there's always a lot of post-processing. But well, it's just cool seeing this. You know, I do appreciate. So uh, additive in clothing and uh, fashion's been going on for a little bit. And I do like the mixed material. So they kind of understand the boundaries of where additive can push them, but also... Like you mentioned, the soles are probably, um, uh, you know, manufactured in mass assembly, yeah. right? So that's a. Uh, is Not, there, they do print the midsole. Like the midsole, the midsole has, right. has a lattice, like right. just like the uh, the Adidas uh, carbon right. Right. 3D shoe. But the contact with the actual ground but itself, the actual that's bottom a different sole. Yeah. yeah. So I, that's one thing I, I do like to see in additive is not just the random exploration, but companies and end users understanding right. you probably don't need the whole thing printed. There's limitations at this point, particularly right. get to a state where you can do a portion of it and then use attach the other things as needed. And to your point, additive is the entire process. It's not just 3D printing. It's uh, sub- you, prepping the material, yeah. uh, growing it, uh, post-processing and then final assembly. Yeah. Yeah. Additives. So like a lot of people, I was one of them thought that, you know, additive has this huge advantage over subtractive or traditional manufacturing, whatever you want to call it, material removal. Sure. Um, in that, you know, with material mover, with 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 like CNC machining or turning, um, all of the setup has to be done in advance. Right. right. And then it makes the part and the part's done. Right. Additive, nope. <laughs> Go you're off to the races print. right away. Right. You know, click print. Right. I know Tim hates it when I say that. But just <laughs> click print and it and it goes. And then and then, you know, when it says it's done, then right. you open the, the door to a big dusty chamber <laughs> and now you got to move it to like, you know, you got to brush it off yeah, and maybe bake it yeah. or something like that. And it's there's a whole process. But I'm to what you said. I'm, I'm glad you said. Um, I Lim- forgot what you limitations? said. Limitations? No. Boundaries? I process. totally lost my train. All right, let's move on then. The <laughs> We're la- going to have to cut that. We got a couple more on um, a combination of computational capability fluid design and uh, sustainability. Uh, so Airbus, massive uh, aerospace company, Airbus or Boeing, not too many options there. Yeah. Um, Airbus selects Altair solid, SimSolid and Zero E Sustainability Aircraft Initiative. So uh, Airbus from uh, the, let's see, uh, OEM side is driving more sustainable designs of the aircraft, both on the fuselage, engines, everything, right? Uh, so what they're looking at is uh, improving their uh, comp- computational fluid design, CFD, uh, to help predict uh, more sustainable designs. Uh, so one of the limitations we've seen, and this is where um, uh, the benefit of additive has seen uh, the is reaping the rewards of this, is 
Uh, fluid design is very, very difficult. It's very computational intense. So there's been limitations for the past bunch of years on computer hardware, right? Basically, you're, you're simulating particles or every molecule of gas as you push it through something, right? So if you can imagine tons and tons of elements that you've got to represent and determine pressure drop, determine temperature gradients, there's a lot of variables involved in that process. Um, and as we've seen, as we talked about the GPU markets and their mm -hmm. effect, and has, as new uh, GPUs have been released, new CPUs, and the ability to how we use those technologies for computational design has changed radically in the past couple of years. You know, being able to push, uh, when I was a wee little design guy, everything had to be done fairly local, right? So the, my capability was whatever RAM I had on my computer, whatever CPU I had on my computer. But now we're seeing the ability to design semi-local, but then push your design back to the server farm to scale up to, I can run over a thousand CPUs and terabytes of RAM if I need to. So that ability um, allows for incredibly complex CFD design, CFD models that will allow us to come up with some very, very radical designs. Some of the stuff you'll see at the, uh, you know, fairly short term are like on drones, um, drones and like um, uh, propellers for boats. Uh, there's a lot of turbulence that comes off of those type of blades. And there's a very um, uh, notable uh, audio signature. Yeah. Uh, for especially drones. Yeah, especially drones. Uh, so what you'll see is a lot of, uh, instead of the blade designs, you'll go to a toy rotal design. So it's connected and it's it's fairly interesting to actually see that and see if that actually works. But if there's no, the, a lot of the turbulence comes from, comes from the tip of the blades. So in a toy rotal design, there's no tip because it's all connected. So it's very fascinating to see, you know, the process they got to that iteration and then for them to verify that it works. And it actually produces enough lift for the aircraft. Yeah. So that, that's the type of iterations we're probably going to see is, you know, on the consumer level, fairly radical designs and uh, what we see for blades and um, moving air. And probably fans, I'm sure Dyson's got an interesting thing coming out soon too. Uh, Dyson. <laughs> but that'll tra transition to, um, you know, aircraft uh, in the next next. Listen, uh, iteration. Listen, Dyson so. is a liar. <laughs> they say they have that bladeless fan. It was probably a month in before the jig was up. <laughs> they it's not a bladeless fan. They moved the blade. They made a suppressor for a fan. <laughs> Big fan of suppressors. Big fan of suppressors. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It was like Speaking of people who use suppressors, Steve, you've got someone that pulled the wool over AI's eyes. Yeah. You know, okay. So I last week's tech report, um, I put in a video at the very end. Well, I put in two videos. Sure. One was like a almost 45 minute video of like a Corvette factory tour. Right. But the second video, I think some people may have glossed over because I put it at the very end. Right. Because I, I out of out of, um, you know, a fear that somebody was like, how you may may give me some negative feedback. I'm like, how is this manufacturing related? But. <laughs> Hear me out. Um, AI is a big topic sure. in the news as of late, especially with Chat GPT and all the fear that, yep. uh, and, and all of, all the hubbub that that thing's that Chat GPT is causing. I love OpenAI for <laughs> one, but anyway, we can get into that later. Um, there's a lot of AI in the news, and you know, long before Chat GPT was a major topic in the news, you know, 
manufacturing industry has been utilizing and trying to, or at least trying to utilize AI for quite some time now. Right. I mean, just talk to Autodesk. Like, right. We've been using it for the past 20 <laughs> years or something like that, you know. I mean, basic and, vision systems are using a lot of machine learning to object ab- recognition and things like that. Absolutely. And they're only getting better. Right. And and open to be an open AI would probably say, yeah, we've been implementing this. This this pro- these programs were written 20 years ago. Right. It's just taken them this long to mature because it's an artificial intelligence. It needs to grow up and mature and, sure. and learn how to do things. But um, anyway, DARPA, mm-hmm. there's a book coming out this month um, that uh, that DARPA was working on a AI powered an AI driven AMR to be employed by the military. Sure. And these little four wheeled Autonomous mobile robots would follow soldiers into a combat zone and um, help force multiply the 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 fire team's uh, situational awareness. Yeah. Like help scan the environment for them right. and notify them if there's anything out of the ordinary that a human might miss, that the sure. human soldiers might miss. And naturally, before you send something expensive <laughs> – and that required a lot of, you know, state of the art technology behind, you know, into a war zone, even yep. though that's a great way to field test something. Naturally, you want to test it in a controlled environment sure. first because you also don't want such technology to be captured. Sure. So you test it in, in in a friendly area. Right. And DARPA decided to test their th- this AI powered this AI recognition system that is driven that with an AMR that's driven by the AI as well. Wanted to test it up against a, a, a squad of Marines. Sure. Um, and the goal of it is the, the AMR would detect the object yes. or detect humans, right? Yes. So. Yes. The, the AMR, they, they were, the Marines were told that you're going to start a thousand feet away from the robot. A thousand feet or a thousand yards? thousand yards. Yep. Sorry. So fairly far away. A thousand yards away from th- literally three times what I said. Um, <laughs> thousand yards away from the robot. Yep. And you have to sneak up to the robot without it detecting you and t- physically touch right. the robot. So a game similar to Clear and Peasant Danger. When Chavez had danger. to sneak up on the and uh, uh, trainer, the robot has been programmed and learned to recognize, you know, people moving, yep. people hiding, like crouched or prone, and like like look for snipers, look for any sort of like human movement, right? And the Marines were were told this, and clearly, like with what happens next. They clearly thought, okay, we just don't have to act like normal humans. <laughs> or be a Marine. <laughs> so the first two or three Marines charged the robot right away, but by doing cartwheels. <laughs> a thousand yards of cartwheels all the way up to a robot. That's a if there's anybody that can do it, forget the gymnasts that go to the Olympics. Marines can do it. <laughs> They cartwheel all the way up to the robot, yeah. touch the robot, never, never <laughs> even had anything. I guess it thought they were tumbleweeds or something. It, I don't, I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? But um, you know, it's helping the AI. The it's sure. helping the AI learn yeah. and develop. Yeah. Um, the second, the next marine that went out went into some nearby woods, right. ripped all of like the limbs all in foliage off of a fir tree, okay, and put it on his uniform, yeah, and. And I quote, 
proceeded to walk towards the marine or the the, the robot like a fir tree, <laughs> like a fir tree. <laughs> Apparently, fir trees walk. I haven't seen it before, but the marines know how they walk. <laughs> totally undetected, yep. touched the robot. Wow. Another failure. Yep. And the last two or three marines uh, found a empty card, a large empty cardboard box yep. nearby hid put the the cardboard box over themselves <laughs> and snuck up to the robot and touched it and and the the engineers and observers noted in they wrote down in their notes and their observations that they could audibly hear the marines giggling as they were sneaking up like solid snake and metal gear solid to this robot and touch it the robot the ai system in the robot was a total failure and the engineers have to go back to the drawing board because they were they, they got told, the marines got them so if anybody's worried about chat gpt <laughs> just, just send the marines <laughs> That is that is very entertaining, and, and it's cool to see that you know DARPA. The, you should always look at DARPA's challenges. They're yeah. amazing, like the type of stuff that they put in place and the failures through some of these challenges right. are well, fantastic. And, and you know you have to make sure you give DARPA credit, right? Because they fail a lot, yeah. But they learn from their failures, right. and they fail because they're the first ones doing it. Yeah, correct, and. This also brings like up you're never going to do anything successfully the first time. Rarely yeah. are you going to succeed at something the first time. And it's interesting. You, you brought up the uh, kind of concepts that are in the training model for that type of AI or machine learning uh, application. And all you have to do is do something outside of the training set. Yeah. So obviously they're very creative. Marines are very creative and said, these are the boundaries which it's set up. And go around those boundaries. And yeah. I thought that's a very interesting example. I'm about to get really nerdy. Okay. Because my mom was a Trekkie. Okay. And I remember when she showed me some of the episodes of like the Borg. Yep. Like you can always, you'll always find a way to defeat the Borg once. Once. Right. And you'll never be able to use that way to defeat it again. <laughs> yep. Because they're yeah. AI. Yeah. And that, that's a good example. It's the way to bring it back Star to Trek, Star dude, Trek. Star Trek <laughs> saw all of this first. Where can they find more info about us? amtonline.org slash resources. Hit all the buttons. Thanks, Steve. Bye, everybody. Bye.